I was a little reluctant to do this me- uh, this message this morning. How many of you, you, your mouth has ever gotten you a little little bit of trouble, okay? How many of you say, Pastor, my mouth got me a little bit of trouble today? I didn't get to church yet. It's already gotten me into trouble. I can remember um, my oldest son, he's in college now, getting ready to graduate this year. But uh, when he was in junior high, he wrestled. And um, I know nothing about wrestling, but he wanted to wrestle, so I said, great. Went to one of his matches. He he only lost one match to this one kid that he's wrestling that he was wrestling the day I went to go see him. He goes, Dad, you gotta watch this. It was a really good match between me and this other kid. And he's undefeated. He's never lost. I said, Okay, I'll, I'll come do it. And I don't it was at Pal Pelmac. I don't remember where it was. So I went there and I was sitting in the stands and so wrestle, Colby's wrestling this kid and it was a really close match. Um what I didn't realize is the parents of the other wrestler were sitting right next to me. Now they didn't know who I was. They didn't know that I was Colby's father. So I hear, him, I hear him commenting during the whole match. Like, who's this kid? You know, I think, I think our son wrestled this kid before. Why is he losing? This kid's really improved. If he had, you know, and I hear them making all this commentary about Colby and him improving and blah, 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 blah. So then it gets into the match and Colby ends up winning. So I was like, wow, this is a great match. I think he won by a point. It was really close. So being the humble father that I am turned to the parents. I said, Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm Colby's father. And he laughed. He looked at me and he said, this really nice, nice people. He looked at me, he goes, man, I am so glad I didn't see anything wrong or bad. <laughs> you know, have you ever, I, I, when I would go to all my kids sport events, I always make sure that the people around me, I knew so that I could say bad things about the other players. No, I'm just teasing. I'm te- stop judging me, okay? So if there was ever a bad call a ref would make and I wasn't happy with it, I'd let them know. And if they would stare me down, I'd always blame Kathleen. I'd say, no, she's, she's the one making all the bracket over here. Um, how, many, how many of us, there are times in our life, our mouths just get in the way. They just do. And, and, and we, we all struggle with tripping over our tongues at times. And we are in a, we're in a series going through the book of James, and uh, James, he's a brother of Jesus and leader in the Jerusalem church. And he writes a letter to Christians that were living in different parts of the Roman Empire. And he writes just, it's really just, it's such a practical letter on how to live authentic lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, some of the people he's writing to are going under pressure. Some that he's writing to just needed to mature in their walk with the Lord. And how many know when we go through the pressures of life, the, the, the pressures will squeeze out of our hearts what's really going on in the vehicle to show what's really going on in our hearts is our what? Tongue. It's our mouth. So what's in there is going to come out. And, and, and when we're pressured, it's going to squeeze What's really going on in our hearts. So listen, James just deals with this and he talks uh, about our tongues. And I think sometimes we can look at the way we talk or, or just say, we, we may just cast away. It's just like, oh, I was just irritated or people can't drive or people can't drive. Somebody cut me off this morning, just going to church this morning. I'm like, serenity now, Lord help me. I'm preaching this, just watch my tongue, right? We, we, we all struggle with this. And so what James does is he practically shows us how to mature in Christ. And, and, and the underlying issue that James deals with is spiritual maturity. And so the result of being spiritually immature is seen in many ways. And James deals with this in his letter. In one way, he said the result of being spiritually immature, if we're not, if we're not showing self-control, 
in, in, in our lives, if we're not showing self-control with, with our tongues or controlling our tongues. So let, let me just give you some passages here in James where James talks about the tongue. James one nineteen. James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, speaking them kindly, my dear brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So he's not saying that you're never going to get agitated. He's saying, how do we control that? How do we recognize when we start to get agitated in our lives? It's, it's all about control. At the end, at, towards the end of James chapter 1, he says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Okay, James, tell us what you really mean there, right? He's, he's getting pretty specific there, isn't he? And then later on in, in, his, in his epistle, in his book, he says, people can tame all kind of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Mm, I, I would say probably uh, the worst weapon we have in our lives is our tongue. And we use it to praise God. And then sometimes in the same breath, we use it to curse others. And this is an area that I think that we all need to, to bring into account before the Lord. So, so, so what James is saying here is bring into account the words that you use. And the pressures of life will reveal what's going on in our heart. And so getting a rein on our tongue is going to be a constant battle. We will never, ever be perfect in controlling our tongue. So let's pray and let's just go home. It's never okay. So it. it uh, so I want to dig down in this a little bit. I want. I want to. I, I want us to really understand what James is saying here. And listen, we can learn to maybe restrain our tongue. We can give careful thought to what we say, and and we can and we can deal with the root of our way, of our wayward tongue. So I think it's really understanding where it's coming from. There's never going to be a point to where we're going to completely uh, just tame our tongue. That's what James is saying. You're not going to get to the point to where you can completely tame your tongue. But we can get to the point where we can restrain it. There can be self-control and learning to understand where our words are coming from. And learning to train ourselves to come under the control of Jesus Christ so that thing does not take control of us. Amen? So th- this is what James is saying. Interesting, he says, he says it's interesting that we can uh, tame a wild animal, but at times uh, they can attack. Even even trained animals at at times can lose control and attack the very person that's uh, training them. I heard a you know many many stories of of owners being attacked by their animals. I remember the story, many of you may remember Siegfried and Roy, they had a, that 400-pound white tiger uh, attacked Roy while 1,500 people were watching, and the result was some serious in- injuries. Um, you know, we've seen the killer whales go after uh, their trainers that were in captivity. I, I actually saw a story that was circulating uh on YouTube or whatever, it was it, it got it went viral of a guy. He was in Montana, and there was all these bison that were going through all the cars. So this guy had this great idea to get out of his car and to agitate the bison. Well, guess what happened? The bison went after the guy. Duh! It's a wild animal, right? It's it's we. <laughs> 
It's, if I see a bison that's going by me or a grizzly bear or whatever, I don't want to be there. Okay. I don't want to be anywhere around that. I don't want to swim with sharks. I don't care what, I don't want to swim with them. I don't know what they're going to do. You know, people down there swim with sharks with big pieces of bloody meat in their hand. Let's see how close it can get to us. You're nuts. You're crazy. I don't know why people do that. See, here's, here's James point. Our tongue, right? Our tongues are like wild animals. And we have to restrain it. Now, we can try to, to tame it, but it's, we're not ultimately going to get there. But we can restrain it. And, and this is where James says we have to get this part of our life out of control because it really is a sign of something deeper that's going in, in our lives. And so we need to ask ourselves a couple questions. Let me throw out a couple questions that may be just, uh, just assessment of your life. Here's a couple of questions I want to throw out to you. First of all, do I have control over my tongue? Do I have restraint over my tongue? Do, do I control my emotions or do my emotions control me? You know, those are just, these are some self-reflective questions we need to ask ourselves. Do I have a filter over my tongue or do we speak whatever comes to our mind? Right? Some of you, do you have any filter whatsoever or whatever pops in your mind? Just, blah, there it goes, Right? So these are good questions to ask us, see, to ask ourselves. See, maturity in Christ has nothing to do with the years that you've been following Jesus. It, it doesn't, you, you can be following Jesus for 150 years. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're mature. What James is saying is maturity in Christ comes in the way that we control our life and bring it under obedience to the Lord Jesus. Listen, I can study the word all day long and be a theologian, but what James says, if you can't control your tongue and your words, your religion is worthless. See, it's not, it's, not, it's not really so much what we say or what we know. It's how we live it out in our lives that's reflective of how Christ has transformed our hearts and our lives. And so this, this is what James is saying. Listen, if, if you call yourself mature, um, then let it be reflective and, and what's going on in your life. So the words that come from our mouth reflects really what's going on in our hearts. So here's where I want, I want, I want you to get to the point in your life when something triggers you and, and causes you to, to, to maybe lose it or get impatient. I, I want you to get to the point in your life where you just don't cast it aside. Because how many know we all have filters Right, and we may say something we don't mean, and it, it it pops through that filter, and then we're like, "Oops, ooh, I didn't mean to say that." Right, and then we we can either do one or two things: we can excuse it and say, "Lord, help me not to say that again." I know that was wrong. We go to the other person, we say we're sorry. We get impatient with somebody, say, "You know, sorry. You know, I didn't I didn't mean to. You know, burp, you know, whatever." But here's the thing: I want you to get get to the point in your life. I want you to get to the point in your life. Say, hmm something deeper is going on in my heart. There's something deeper that's going on. It, something broke through that filter that triggered me to lose it or to get impatient or say something that I didn't mean. There's something going on in my heart, in my life. And that's where I want you to get to. Because what begins to happen in our heart, heart, in our heart if we're not in tune with God and if, if God doesn't have control of our heart and if we're not daily seeking him and, and, and looking for our peace in Christ Jesus, the pressures of life are going to squeeze out what's going on in your heart and your life. That does not mean that life doesn't get frustrating at times. 
that doesn't mean that you don't have questions. That doesn't mean that people can't irritate you, right? How do I deal with it? Because what we end up doing is we always, the majority of the time, always blame someone else for the reasons why we're agitated. Where God's saying, listen, I want you to stop looking at other people and I want you to look in your own heart. Because the reason why you're not controlling something in your life is because there's something going on in your heart that you're not giving to me. So that's where I want you to get to the point in your life. Because really, when we get agitated and angry, the last person we want to look to is ourself. The, the last thing we want to do is say, God, okay, examine my heart and see if there is anything wayward in my heart first. Boy, it got really quiet in here. Okay, let's move on. I'm really, okay, I'm going to keep pressing on you guys today, so just be ready, okay? I'm going to keep pressing. So James tells us that the maturity in Christ will be seen in the way we, we, we live our lives. So what is the evidence? Here's the question. What is the evidence of a follower of Christ? Well, a life in Christ will produce fruit that is in the likeness of Christ. So as we mature in the Lord, there's going to be that likeness of Christ that's going to be evident in our life. And a life in Christ will show kindness and restraint. Let me back this up with some verses for you. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this. He says, we prove ourselves by our purity. He says, if you want to prove your relationship with Christ, yes, we're saved by grace, not by our works, But he says, if you want to prove your maturity, let it be seen in the way you live your life in purity, by our understanding, by our, what's that next word? Everybody say it together. Okay, that was bad. That was weak. Okay, let's say it again. By our what? By our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. See, he says, if you want to prove your maturity, then these things ought to be evident. It it ought to be evident in our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. Isn't it interesting that when Paul was writing the Corinthians on spiritual gifts to the Corinthians in in 1 Corinthians 1, he writes to them, he says, listen, you're using your spiritual gifts, purpose of spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit are to build up the, the body of Christ. But what's interesting is he corrects them because what they're doing is they're using it to show off Right, God's given us this gifts, and we're kind of showing them off. And they were just immature in the way they were doing it. And 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 Paul explains them. Here are what the spiritual gifts are in chapter twelve of First Corinthians, and then chapter fourteen of Corinthians. But in between there, he squeezes First Corinthians thirteen. And if any of you have ever been at a wedding, they always seem to use First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Right, love is kind. It's not, it's patience. It's not rude. It's not selfish. That is not a wedding verse, by the way. It can work, and we should be doing that towards each other as couples. But the reason why Paul squeezes thirteen in between twelve and fourteen, he's saying, love is the ultimate. Love is the ultimate. You can be doing all these spiritual gifts, giving your body in martyrdom, but if you're not loving each other, it's all meaningless. So that's where we come back to this verse that Paul says, listen, by our purity, by our patience, by our kindness, through the Holy Spirit, by our sincere love. So this is, this is where we get into trouble. It's when we say something without any thought to it. Have you ever said something and you were like, when it got out there, you're like, 
that was really dumb. Why did I say that? Right? It's just hanging out there like a matzo ball. You're like, what did I say? Why did I say that? Because we didn't give thought to what we said. And that's where we get in trouble. Do we take in consideration maybe what the other person is going through? Have you ever done that? You just prejudge someone and you had no idea what they're going through. And then all of a sudden you found out what they're going through. You're like, man, I prejudged that. I, I totally missed it there. See, what James is saying is take careful thought to, to what your words are because you have no idea what the other person is going through. And we can hide behind our words. We can hide behind our words like saying, well, it's not personal, it's business. That's what I say to that. I, I get so irritated when people try to, I'm just going to, I'm going to say it. Okay. Can I say it? Let me just say it. I get so irritated when I hear people be callous with their words and take, in, and take into no consideration the other person and what they're going through and how their words are going to affect that. Now, do we need to speak to each other as brothers and sisters? Do we need to correct each other at times? Absolutely. But are we doing it in love? That's my question. I, I heard Tim Keller say this in a devotional I'm reading that he's written, him and his wife, on Proverbs. And he said this. Oh, this is just so good. He says this. He talks about people that love to argue. And this is what he says. He says, perhaps the main reason for loving an argument is that being proved right can be an exercise in power rather than in truth. Can I just get an amen? I think that's the, the when someone becomes combative or argumentative all the time, it really isn't. We want to say, well, I'm just giving him the truth, brother. And I don't care if people are all offended. Mm. If it's not done in love, you better watch it because it's probably more of an objective of a power trip than it really is in love or really actually sharing the truth with that person. So let's guard what we're saying. Let's take in consideration what Paul is saying, that we prove ourselves by our purity, understanding, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. And so what Paul does, he combats this idea of pride when he writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says this to them. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be irritated with each other. Right. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of what? Mm. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Be completely gentle and patient with each other, making allowance. So it means that making allowance literally means to put up with each other, to literally put up with each other's idiosyncrasies. And let me just say, can I, can I just say, that we're all messed up in some way, every single one of us. Can, can I just get a consensus? Can I get an amen there? We're all jacked up in some way, okay? We all got our problems. We, we just do. And what, and what Paul is saying, is here, is saying here, with our idiosyncrasies, we need to learn to literally bear with one another, bear under one another, allow patience and love to be our guide as we bear up. Now, do we, should we speak into each other's lives? Absolutely. Because we love each other. When we see a brother or sister going wayward uh, and not maybe living out the truth in their life, or maybe something that's going to be detrimental to their life, we want to speak into their life. We just don't want to say, well, we love them, but we're not going to share anything with them. No, absolutely not. It's because of our love. 
that we want to share the truth of God's word in their life and to speak into their life and hopefully to help them. Does that make sense? So, so here's what he's saying. In our pursuit to be right, are we acting ugly? In our pursuit to be right, are we acting ugly? And so that's, that's Paul's point here. And so a good test to see what's going on in your heart is to see what happens when you're bumped. When you're bumped, what's spilled out? When you're bumped, what is spilled out of your heart? Amy Carmichael, a missionary to India for 55 years, says this. She says, a cup brimful of sweetness cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, no matter how suddenly jarred. Her book, Candles in the Dark. That's good. So when we are jarred, when we are bumped, when things don't go our way, when we don't get our own way, when somebody takes our toys, right? What comes out? That's the point. What comes out? And, and how do I handle that with patience and self-control and love? So here's what James is saying. A mature life, a mature life in Christ, one that is growing in Christ, is a life that will actually display self-control in those times. So the proverb writer says a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. So a life in Christ will display self-control and a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. There's no defenses. So it would seem self-control is a pretty straightforward thing. So we may look at self-control as like, you know, resisting another double stuffed Oreo cookie. I can't, don't even put those in my house because they're gone, right? Um, or, or, you know, whatever it is, that extra fry or whatever that is. We, we think uh, self-control um, is that just like, okay, I just have to have willpower and not eat more than I should or whatever it may be. There was an interesting um, article I read on a experiment they did with kids uh, back in the late 60s. And what's interesting, they did these young kids and they, they, it was called the marshmallow test. Maybe some of you have heard this. And there was an Ivy League professor, his name was Walter Michelle, and he wanted to see how a five-year-old would handle um, self-control. So what they did is they put these kids into a room and they put a marshmallow in front of them. And they told them if they could wait a certain amount of time, they would give them another marshmallow. If they could show self-control, and it was... They said it was similar. They actually did later test of kids on these. I actually saw some on YouTube. And the kids would be, you know, touching the marshmallow. They'd move the marshmallow. They would sniff the marshmallow. They would pick it up. And they would look around and see if people were looking. And then some kids would just eat it. You know, they were just like, I'm just going to, you know. And what's interesting is they they fouled up uh, with these five-year-olds 50 years later to see how they ended up in their lives. And what they found out is very interesting. The New York Times uh, did a report on this. They said the preschoolers who waited the longest for the marshmallows went on to have higher SAT scores uh, than the ones who couldn't wait. In later years, they were thinner, earned more advanced degrees, and coped better with stress. And they said as, as, the, as the first marshmallow kids now enter their 50s, um, 
Mr. Michelle and his colleagues are investigating whether or not the good delayers are also more wealthier also uh, too. Now, this, this was Michelle's response to nervous parents with self-indulgent children. Cause I probably would have been the one that waited two seconds. And I'm like, I'm just eating this thing. Um, he said, listen, whether they eat the marshmallow at, at five, isn't your identity. Self-control can actually be taught. And that was the result. And I, I was, intrigued by this because I go, how do we, how do we, cause we know what we're supposed to do. We know that we're supposed to control this air, especially our tongue. We all struggle with that at times. And so the, the question is why is self-control necessary in restraining our tongue without just giving up without just saying, that's just who I am. I'm just impatient or I'm just, I get angry easily. It's just without just throwing in the towel. How can we really give this to the Lord? Let, let me give you a couple things here. A couple things here. We have to understand within us, there is a presence that actually needs to be bridled. So within us, there actually is a presence that needs to be bridled. How many know that we constantly battle with the flesh? I heard Billy Graham say this. I thought it was brilliant. Billy Graham said, the the one thing that never dies until we die is the flesh. It's always going to be right there with us until we die. I mean, that's what we can't wait to get to heaven. We're going to have to battle with the flesh. We know it's there. And so we're going to constantly have to battle with that flesh. So within us, there's this presence. There's the flesh that needs to be uh, bridled. Let me show you this picture. There's a picture of a horse with a bridle. How many love horses? Horses scare me to death, by the way. That's why you have a bridle in, in, in a bit. It amazes me how a 1,200-pound horse can be moved by that little bit in its mouth. It amazes me. Horses are so powerful. And, and to be able to restrain a horse by just putting a bridle in a bit in its mouth absolutely amazes me. And so here's the thing I want you to realize. Here is what James is bringing out within these passages we need to come under the control of Christ in order to battle our tongue correctly. So when we come under the authority, that horse is coming under the authority of the person riding it. That person trains it. I don't, I don't know anything about horses, but I know this. It, the, the, the rider, the trainer can train the horse with that bit and can move the horse and can steer the horse. And here's the thing about controlling our tongues. Unless we come under the authority of Christ, unless Christ becomes the, the bit in our mouth, unless we come under his authority, that restraint is going to be very difficult in our life. The thing that you will battle with the most in your life is who is in control of your life. Wasn't in your notes. That was just right there to you guys. That was free. Okay. Free. Isn't it true? We battle with control. Is it going to be my way or is it going to be God's way? And so control will be something that we're going to battle with. Does God have control of my, uh, of my life? And so we must look outside ourselves to find the strength we need to have self-control. And so at times we can find success through sheer determination, but ultimately self-control is not found inward, but only through Christ. So the answer is not in what we give ourselves, but in what God gives us. Now, here's the answer to living a life that's under the control of Christ and trying to find restraint 
for my life. Yeah, we have to inspect our heart. We have to look, hey, there's something deeper going on there. God, you need to can take control. Is the reason I'm impatient is because I'm not giving things to you or the pressures of life, and, and I need to have my quiet time with you. You've, you've got to get to my heart, God. And so things are triggering me to lose my patience much quicker because I know I'm not in your presence like I should be, and I know I'm not giving these things to you. I'm not praying and just laying these things down at your feet. That's where we need to first go. But here's the thing about living a life that's under the control of Christ, 1 Timothy 1.7. This is what Paul says. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and what? Self-control. So it's through the spirit of God that we can now have this self-control. So self-control is really a gift that God gives us by his grace. Now, some of you can actually see this in your life. My prayer for you is that you can look back over your life and say, you know what? When I got bumped that way, if I would have got bumped that way three years ago, I would have gone off the handle, but I don't do that as much now. I don't do that as much. What is it? It's the spirit of Christ within you now maturing you. You're growing. You're, you're, you're not resorting to those old ways. It's God's spirit within you. It's a gift within you that he's given you to show restraint in those times because Christ is now taking control of your life. Somebody say, man, that's good. So here's, here's what Ed Welch says. He says, we are promised the gift of self-control, yet we almost, but yet we must take it by force because it's not going to come easy. It's not going to come easy. And the reason why it doesn't come easy is because obedience is part of that, because we learn obedience through self-control. When I give that to the Lord, what I'm saying is, Lord, I need to be obedient to you in this area. I know I'm not getting my own way. I know I'm frustrated, but I'm going to be obedient to you and you take control of my life. See, this is where I love where Paul says, where he says, be anxious for nothing or worry about nothing. Not that we're never going to be anxious or we're not going to have worry, but he says, you don't have to allow the anxiousness of life or the worry of your heart to overtake you. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, right? We present our request to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a peace that Christ gives us. So when we have the peace of Christ, the, the, the anxious things of this world are not going to get us down as much. When we know that God is ultimately in control, I'm, like, oh, I'm not going to, no sweat. God, you're in control. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to give this to you in prayer. And what God says is when, I, when you give this thing to me in prayer, I now guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So we learn obedience through self-control and ultimately the restraint of our tongues comes, comes from our willingness to submit control to Christ. Let me give you this last verse and I'll let you go off into this beautiful Sunday day today. I love this verse in Titus, Titus chapter two. Let's check this out together. It says, for the grace of God, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Amen. It teaches us to do what? Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to do what? And to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's a, that's a great verse. See, 
the grace of God gives us the salvation free without any strings attached. And then through God's grace, it teaches us that now through God's grace, I can say no to the ungodliness that's in our world today and the passions of this world. And and I can actually live a self-controlled life, an upright life, godly lives in this present age. We can do that through Christ Jesus now. So the real issue is not really our tongue, but our heart. And we need a heart change. So when you feel like your life is getting out of control and you notice that your words are a little sharper and your patience is waning, I would tell you, go to your heart. I would tell you there's something in your life that you haven't given control to. Listen, there's no provocation in our lives that ever deserves an unchristian response. Now, are we going to blow it at times? Absolutely. Are we going to need to ask for forgiveness from others at times? Absolutely. But here's what I would tell you. Don't stop. If, if, you have, if, 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 if your relationship, if you have a relationship that's broken because of your words, I would do all you can to reconcile that for Christ's sake. And then what I would do is, whether the person accepts it or not, it's not the point. The point is, if we've been offered forgiveness, we need to forgive others. That's the grace of God. That doesn't make what the other person did right. But what it does is, it, 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 you're not attached any longer to the bitterness that you have through that other person. And I think the reason why maybe we're angry or we have buried anger in our life is because there's unresolved forgiveness in our hearts. So guess what? The reason why you're angry at the dog at the end of the day is not the dog, right? It's you. Take responsibility for you. And then what happens is when you embrace the love of Christ and what he's done for us, that we didn't deserve it or earn it, all of a sudden he changes our hearts and we're able to offer grace when people don't deserve it either. All of a sudden our words are a little kinder. We learn to encourage each other. Let's display that in our lives. Let's be kind and patient. Your words are powerful. You can bring words of life into a situation and healing, or we can bring words of condemnation and guilt and poison. And God says, I want you to bring words of life in every situation that you're in and the relationships that you're in. Even as you had hard conversations with people, when you go into a situation, you know, and you have to say to yourself, I know this is going to be a tough conversation because of maybe someone's wayward behavior or whatever it may be. You bathe that thing in prayer and just say, God, make sure that what I say is first bathed in your grace and love, even as I have to correct. Parents, we have to do that with our children. Maybe it's with, maybe you're, a leader or a boss and you have to do that with employees guard your tongue 
guard it. And here's what I would just tell you when you, here's just a couple of things we're going to pray and I'll let you get out of here. If someone says something to you that's nasty or is just whatever, maybe 99% of it is wrong. But how much, no, there's always that 1% that could be true. So just take that 1% and say, God, okay, I know what they're saying. It may not be, most of it may not be true, but there may be that 1%. And if there's anything that's prideful in my life, may it die. So instead of me getting all defensive and reactive and blah, blah, let me take that and let it change. And then if you react to that other person, don't, don't react to that other person right away. Wait. Whether you're responding through an email, just wait. The problem is we can react right away through social media, and a lot of times it doesn't go real well. Why? Because we're reacting off our emotions. And we're not allowing our life to gain control of what my words need to say. And so I would say, take time in between your response to give that to the Lord, to make sure that the words that you say are the words that God wants you to say, not the words you're saying because you've been hurt and you're reacting in your emotions. And how many know when we react in our emotions, it normally doesn't go real well. Can I get an amen? Okay. So wait. And just say, God, I need to allow you to take control of my heart and my life. If there's anything true in there, then first reveal it to me. If there's any pride there, then may that die. And let me make sure that I react in the way that is always becoming of you. That is reflective of who you are in me. And isn't it, isn't it wonderful that when we still make mistakes, that the humility of Christ within us can go to somebody else and just say, I'm sorry. I blew it. Will you forgive me? And the wonderful thing about the grace of God is that there's forgiveness and there's restoration and there's healing in relationships. Let's guard our emotions with all we have and bring them under the control of Jesus Christ as we walk obediently under his lordship. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you today. Here, here, here's the takeaway. I want you to look at in your life. What are the areas of your life that you're struggling the most to bring under the control of Christ? What are the areas of your life that you're struggling the most to bring under the control of Christ? And, and I want you to think about something in your life that you just say, yeah, this is an area that definitely I'm struggling with. You know, maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it is my patience. Maybe it is, I just, man, I just, when I get going, it's just look out, right? And, and I know it's not good, and I've been blaming other people, but, Lord, I really haven't been giving that to you. And so whatever that area is, give, give, give that to the control of Christ and allow God to deal with you in that area because we all have the areas that we need to work on. <laughs> so let's allow Christ to take control of those areas of our lives as we give it to him. Aren't you glad for Jesus' patience in your life? Man, he should have given up on Barton a long time ago, but he didn't. I'm so, I'm so grateful for his grace in my life. Father God, as we just bow our hearts before you today, we thank you that, you know, it's through your patience and your love that you lead us to repentance. And Lord, I just pray that you would guard our hearts 
that we would do everything possible to guard the fellowship of our church, Lord. That we would do all we can to guard our words and maybe ill will that we speak of someone else. Let's, 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 talk, let's talk about us here at Living Word. Let's talk about our church family, not about the world. Lord, let it start here with us. When we hear ourselves saying something derogatory about someone else and we guard our tongue against that, may our words be words that lift each other up. May our words be constructive and done in your love, God, as we speak to each other. Even when we have to speak truth to one another, may we guard our hearts against gossip. Lord, may we guard our our tongue and what we say about each other. Even when we feel like uh, we've been misunderstood, God, guard our hearts because we need to protect all we can, the fellowship of our church, because we know that the enemy is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he's looking for every crack that he can weasel himself into our fellowship to, to, to destroy what you're doing here, God. And so may you start with us and just guard us in that way, Lord, as we give our hearts to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for restoring us. God, help us to walk humbly before the cross of Jesus Christ. And then help us to walk humbly before each other as we serve each other in you, Jesus. So we thank you for this word today. And Lord, may, we, may it just permeate our hearts so that whether we're at work or we're dealing with a family member, Lord, may you take control of our tongue and what we say, Lord. And we thank you for your patience with us. And we just want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Should we